0: Hi, we're Margaret and Paul Toscano. We've been doing a series of little discussions. Um, This one uh, is based on an idea that Paul developed in a radio show that he is a part of. A lot of you may not know that Paul, almost every Friday, does a radio show with our old friend Jack Stockwell. It's on K Talk Radio. And he developed this idea of what he thinks are the five heresies of the modern age. So Paul, why don't you start out by just listing, uh, giving us your list of the five heresies. If I can remember five things. okay Let's yes. see. Uh, the first one
1: uh, is, uh, I'm looking down at a little list here. <laughs> that <laughs> helps to have the mind. Uh, the idea that people have, and maybe it's with the advent of the internet, that my opinion is just as good as anybody else's on any subject. Strikes me as a kind of a silly idea, but I think a lot of people will come back
0: to these just give us our list Okay, what's your second one?
1: The second one is the idea that there's a golden age whether it's in the past present or future Okay, the third one is utopianism that it's possible for us to build a heaven on earth And the third uh, the fourth one would be what I call naturalistic objectivism Which is the idea that we can we can know the the meaning of things in reality through our through science and rationalism, which I think is silly. And uh, then finally, uh, uh, I would call it a narcissistic elitism, the belief that a self-defined uh, elite um, has the natural or even legal right to exploit its inferiors. So those are the
0: five. So the first question I want to ask you, Paul, is I'm curious as to why you call these heresies, for two reasons. First of all, heresy is a religious term that kind of has the notion to it that you're moving away from the truth, right? So it's a heresy, a belief heresy, and so these don't seem to me to be particularly about religion. As you made your list, for me, I wouldn't have called these heresies. Maybe you'd call them, you know, what you see as problems in the modern age. If I were going to make a list of Christian heresies today, which of course always has to do with your own point of view, right? I'm mm-hmm. The only one on here that I would maybe have listed is the elitism, which I think every religious group has the tendency to go toward elitism and think that they have the corner on truth, which I think is an obnoxious notion. Mm-hmm. So why did you call these heresies? I mean, I don't really see them as religious.
1: Okay. So I think the answer I would give is that they're heresies in two sense. They're they're heresies of Christianity because I think they are actually um, repugnant to the teachings of Jesus as laid down in the New Testament and other scriptures that Mormons have. And second, they are heresies of the concept of uh, a democratic republic because they are are inimical to the idea of... uh, unalienable human rights and uh, and 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 individual freedom uh, from arbitrary uh, force. So so I think if the trajectory of each of these ideas will eventually lead to a subversion of either the principles of freedom or the principles of redemption in the Christian religion. That's why I think of them as heresies.
0: Okay, well, we better not get stuck on this because i I still totally disagree with you. I I don't totally. Think, well I shouldn't say totally, that was a totally uh, exaggerated evaluation. She's <laughs> somewhat. I somewhat, or maybe quite disagree with all you right, about, about whether they're heresies or not because I think that for example, let's start with number one, but again we don't want to spend all of our time arguing about whether these are heresies. The idea that my opinion is as good as everybody else's. I think that religion tends toward authoritarianism. But let's just move away from the heresy idea. And let's let's start with them and talk about how you see these as pervading our world and why you think they're destructive. Well, let's start
1: with that one. Okay? My opinion is better than yours, even though my opinion is totally uninformed. (laughs) I mean, you have never seen this happen in Mormonism.
0: I I see it happen all over the place, but I don't see it's a religious idea. I think it's just... I really think it happens because of, in fact, you could argue this is sort of a democratic ideal that somehow everybody should have an equal vote and everybody's opinion is as good as, as well, anybody else's. Well, I think equal
1: vote is different.
0: Yeah, well, but you know, it's interesting that if you go back to the Greeks and Athens and sort of the inception of the notion of democracy, this was one of the problems that a lot of the philosophers had with democracy, the idea that somehow you know, people would think that everybody's opinion was as good as... Well, they didn't
1: think that. They only let the rich people who were educated and had property vote.
0: No, that isn't true in Athens. You you had to be an Athenian citizen, and you had to be male, and you couldn't be a slave. But actually, you could be a poor farmer and have an equal vote with an aristocrat in if you were male and an Athenian citizen.
1: Well, I think the idea... But let's
0: go back to... So why do you see this as destructive? What? What? My opinion is as good as anybody else's. Well,
1: because it, if, if you, maybe I'm thinking of what I read on the internet so much. Well,
0: yes, indeed. I think that's where we see well, this people, right now. Yeah. And it is on Mormon blogs. There's no question that everybody thinks their opinion is as good as anybody else's. Yeah, and I think
1: what it, I'm not against the democratic idea that, you know, people should have a vote. vote. A vote. And, and because the vote is not only about what you know, but what you don't want to have imposed upon you. So it's right. it, It's a way of saying no to certain things. And, of course, you know, we don't have a literacy test anymore. And
0: that creates some problems, but I'm glad we don't. Right, because it's used by an elitist group to to, to eliminate you. the people they don't like, right? Right. So,
1: uh, yeah, I, I, I believe in one vote, but I believe that when... when you know, if two bankruptcy lawyers, I'm a bankruptcy lawyer, so if I'm arguing about bankruptcy law with a, another bankruptcy lawyer, I, I naturally think my opinion is probably as good as that other lawyer's. Sometimes I find out it's not that the person has more experience or more knowledge of a particular area.
0: Or vice versa.
1: Sometimes I'm arguing with a judge, you know, uh, what we say to the judge, but sometimes I find myself arguing with the judge. And uh, my opinion, I might think, is better than his, but he has the final say because the law gives him the authority to make the final decision. I accept that. So, you know, I I don't always think, certainly if I were arguing with somebody or talking to somebody about sports or golf or something, about which I know almost nothing, I I would certainly not say much because I don't have an opinion about it. Except, of course, I'm still irritated that I was thrown off the golf course uh, when I hit the ball into the clubhouse by accident but still that was that was because I was incompetent I accept my incompetence in certain areas when it comes to religion I think people have the idea that because they have religious feeling or uh, they are, are involved deeply in religious activity that they that makes them experts in the field of religion theology or religious history or the history of ideas and they may not be But right, so I mean I see that a lot on the internet where people are advancing rather passionately ideas that that are really not very sound and uh and they have no basis
0: for other than their opinion yeah
1: and that's i'm fine with people having that opinion but what i see happening more and more uh is that people are are uh, not they're not particularly uh self-aware that they perhaps don't have the gravitas to be having such a strong opinion about a subject about which they know so little. And that, I think, is in a number of areas. Not only, it's in politics, it's in religion, sex, religion, politics, art, well, money, And death. art, yeah. Uh,
0: I mean, I, I think that's the reality of it. I mean, I think most people, if it's something like science or a technical knowledge, they will concede that they don't know but you're right in areas of the humanities of the huma- of religion and politics and sex and also I see this with the arts all the time movies yeah movies they assume that everybody's opinion about a film is just as good as anybody else's that there's no place for somebody who actually has expertise has expertise or has thought about it and so maybe that's where you think it becomes yeah I don't know if it's, is it dangerous, though? Well, is that a danger, or is it just annoying? A book is this just really a list of things that annoy you, Paul? Yeah, it is a list of <laughs> Yeah, but it's also based, it's deeper than that. Okay. There's
1: a book called a Misquoting Jesus. Like, for example, I think a lot of people miss, uh, like, I was reading a blog recently, and somebody was criticizing Jesus for having, you know, cursed the fig tree, or sending the swine the Yeah, that's the an bilge. old
0: criticism. Yeah.
1: It seems stupid to me. Because, um... They don't really know
0: the Bible that well, they've just made some list up.
1: It seems stupid to me, because it seems like you're imposing modern, politically correct feelings about pigs and fig trees <laughs> on somebody who lived 2,000 years ago and is trying to make another point. I mean, Jesus wasn't trying to afflict the pigs, nor was he trying to kill trees. You
0: may have liked trees and pigs. Yeah,
1: the point of the story is that the house of Israel, the tree, not bear the fruit that it should have in his opinion, and he's upset with the tree. Right? I mean, so it's more of an allegory. Yeah, it has allegorical significance, and you know it's worth a tree. A lot of trees get killed for a lot less noble purposes than transmitting uh, an idea about religion. I mean here's Jesus trying to transform a tribal religion with a God of war into a cosmic religion with a God of love. Mm-hmm. And in order to bring about this transition, from a tribal religion to a global religion or a universal religion to try to change the view of God as a, as a suzerain and a warlord, Yahweh, into a loving God, it, it's worth maybe a tree or a herd of pigs. You know, I don't know. I, I'm not going to bring judgment upon him, but I see a different purpose in these things. But if you're just looking at the narrow concept of modern ethics, and you're using that narrow concept of modern ethics and imposing it back 2,000 years, I just, I see it as a sophomoric argument.
0: Right, so what you're really upset with, which I agree with you, is that it seems as though rather than study things out and try to come to any kind of intelligent opinion about something, people just want whatever feeling they have, a knee-jerk, a knee-jerk reaction, to be taken as seriously as somebody who has thoughtfully studied this out. Yeah, and Which is not to say that, I mean, on one level I would say, well, everybody's opinion is valuable if you're thinking about it in terms of human rights or uh, in terms of even a sociological study. Right? Well, I think
1: everybody has a right to say these opinions. I'm not saying right. that. I just think it would be more useful if there were some you know, self-criticism, the same criticism that they're placing upon the Jesus. statements of Jesus, to turn it on yourself first and ask yourself, well, really, what do I know about this subject? Have I looked at the Anchor Bible series on this? Have Have I looked at a concordance? Have I seen six or seven translations of different texts on this? Have I, you know, got Terry Eagleton's view of this, something, you know.
0: Right, in other words, what happens is that it sort of it ends up discouraging any kind of thoughtful analysis, and it seems like we're really short in our current world with intelligent, thoughtful analysis of things.
1: Although there's a place for flailing and and ventilating and And being upset. And just giving your crazy opinion on something,
0: which in fact if you're thinking of it as entertainment can be rather nice, right? And somebody
1: could <laughs> cast that at us, saying, why, exactly. "Why did they read more and talk less?
0: <laughs> Let's go to Indeed. the next one." Indeed. Okay. Well, why do you put the golden age? Why does the why do you see that as a dangerous thing?
1: Well, because I, the idea that there was some golden age, like in the Joseph Smith period, that was a golden age. Mm-hmm. Well, it certainly was not a golden age. I see it as a as a as a as a, as a period of foment and and a, a time of great creativity, but certainly not a golden age. It was, there was, you know, I mean, I think Eliza R. Snow wrote a hymn about think not when you go to Zion that everything's going to be peachy and keen, because it's not. Mm-hmm. And the idea that there's a Zion or uh, a perfect, utopian, you know, past, and that we have to somehow get back to it, uh, is as bad as the idea, which I think was had in the 18th century, that this is the best of all possible worlds. It certainly is not. The best of all possible mm-hmm. world although i think we can see a lot of technological progress you know i thank god every day for the sewer system yeah me too and i and i
0: love my computer and you and love the your, internet right
1: but i also and there's also we don't eviscerate people anymore and burn their you know they used to hang people until they were almost dead and then they would open their bowels and then burn their entrails in front of them and then tie their limbs to horses and then tear them apart and stick their head on a post.
0: Yeah, they knew how to punish. They those
1: knew how people. to do capital punishment back then. <laughs> Indeed. And I'm glad we don't do that anymore. Yeah, me too. And and so there is progress. There's more sensitivity. The fact that we were blind at one time to homosexuality, and then you know repulsed by it, and then finally coming to realize what are we talking about yeah, here? This is a natural this human is, expression. This is getting better. I mean, I think racism happens, but it's not. They're not hanging certain races from trees in the South anymore, like they did, I think the last one that happened was in the early 60s. I mean, there seems to be sensitivity and progress. I don't think this arc happens everywhere, but generally speaking, it seems like things are improving. But to say that this is the best of all possible worlds, I think that overstates it. And then to look forward into the future and imagine some kind of utopian technological, you know, I think technological optimism is what someday we're going to colony we're going to put colonies on Mars and we're going to That'll be the solution. To all we're going to have mirrors ones. in space that reflect the sunlight so we don't have to use fossil fuel. I think these are are nice ideas to to consider, but the cost of these things and the the real possibility uh, of actually achieving them, might might be a little bit out of reach, maybe a lot out of reach, but the idea that the golden age is in the future or even in the present or in the past, I think has the tendency to kill creativity.
0: Well, in a sense you can say that there's sort of like two different impulses. One is that we look to the past as better. Mm -hmm. So you often have this with social conservatives who think in terms of, oh, if we were just like in the good old days, yeah. you know, in our grandparents' days. the fifties. Day, or in the 1950s. Yeah. Or, you know, the greatest generation, World War II, you know, that's when they really knew how to do things right, right. And, and sort of the idea that, you know, there was no premarital sex before the 1960s, right, right. which of course is ridiculous if you actually read history again, right? Um, And then the opposite is sort of the progressive notion that we're gradually getting better. But I see problems with both. I mean, the truth of it is so, with the Golden Age, you could say, well, is one age just as good as the other? I mean, are there certain times when maybe there were like this group of just phenomenal people? I mean, you know, I'm certainly not a a social or political conservative, but I mean, you look at, you know, Thomas Jefferson and John Adams and, You know, there were phenomenal, some phenomenal people that seem to have been clustered there. So, either way seems to me a problem, whether you're looking at the past as a golden age, or you just assume that we're always getting better. I mean, because I teach ancient languages and studies, you know, there's always this idea that somehow, you know, the people in the past were not quite as smart as we are now, but all you have to do is try to read Plato in original ancient Greek, and you kind of reach a different conclusion. Um, so I don't know I think that there are problems either way well I mean that it's kind of sloppy thinking you know to kind of go to either extreme well the sloppy thinking is in the United States Supreme Court
1: <laughs> because they have the idea of you can read the Constitution and interpret it with its original intent well how is this possible I mean they didn't have uh, you know digital information electronic stuff they didn't Really think heavily about abortion. They didn't think about these things, women's rights. Women didn't have the vote. So how can you take the Constitution of 1789 and bring it into, you know, 2014 and interpret it with its original intent? Well, the way the, the Supreme Court does this, the conservatives on the Supreme Court say they're doing this, but then they, you know, they hand down an opinion like Bush versus Gore. Or, and give the presidency to George W. Bush, and it doesn't seem to have any original intent at all in it. So, you know, if you really examine that, that's not what's really happening. What's really happening is that conservatives are basically being conservatives. They're making sure money flows into the pockets of those into which it has always flowed. That's their idea of original intent. It's cynical, but I think it bears analysis. Uh, It's supported by evidence. Uh, they will deviate from original intent when they want to. So the the idea of a golden age in the idea of how yeah, we the read the Constitution a text, is or the golden. New Testament right. or all of this. Right. I mean, the people will read it and and read it literally and say we've got to you know literally the have the Sabbath on a Saturday or we're literally going to you know we have to have the Eucharist every Sunday. You know, I mean, it's not in the text that
0: way. Right, and. and Which is again making this past, the New Testament past, the constitutional past, we're making them into golden ages as though you know, if we could just get back to that, that would be the best thing to do. And yet
1: if we ignore the past and try to decide based upon what our current ideas of political correctness are, our current moralities, without taking into account the past and giving some deference to what has been thought before, we become alienated from our own cultural history and we can make terrible mistakes.
0: Absolutely, and, and by pitching learning. everything
1: into the future, we we could ignore things that need to be dealt with in the here and now. So my feeling is that these are really ways of of, of different mechanisms of denial, in a way. Right. And I think they're not useful any more than thinking that your opinion on a subject you know nothing about is just as good as the opinion of someone who's. It's an anti-intellectual position. Right,
0: and and. You know, as you're saying, I mean, to not learn from the past is also, you know, a stupid, foolish thing. Not just learn in sort of a moralistic sense, but to be enriched and enlightened by the complexity of the past and what we know about it. I mean, there's just so much to be learned and thought about in terms of looking at any culture. Although I have to
1: say, I'm still on page 168 of The Magic Mountain. (laughs) And Thomas Mann, yes. been, and that other guy, that Angela, that wrote Pamela, and what was the other uh, Clarissa. Clarissa. I have never. been You're able
0: never going to gonna make it all I'll the never way make through it those. Through
1: Clarissa. Or with one of those
0: thousand-page novels. You don't care about knowledge of that past, I right? Mean,
1: I I I do, but I just can't make it you through the sentences. They're just too long. No,
0: there. That is a problem. Very Germanic. Yes. Well, let's get on to the next one: utopianism, which in a way is related to the golden age idea. To create so, one. Well, but let's talk. about this I mean it's interesting in Mormonism that there is this concept of Zion the notion that we want to create this this perfect community where there's social justice and where everybody is equal I mean if you read the Book of Mormon I really see that as one of the major notions of the uh, the really positive issue things that I see in the Book of Mormon Mm -hmm is the notion of social justice where, in fact, I think the Book of Mormon defines evil as the inequalities that we humans oh, create, absolutely. so that seems to be a great ideal that we're trying to create. Well we're not, we're not in Mormonism. So why is utopianism bad? Why do you see utopianism because bad? Because in order
1: to create utopia, somebody On the pig farm, on the animal farm, the pigs have to take control of the other animals, and the pigs always become more equal than the other animals. I mean, that's what always happens. All utopian one one pig becomes the big pig, and all all utopianism shipwrecks on the shoals of privilege, because in order to bring it about, it's felt like some need to have power over others. It's a it's a very seductive idea. I mean, the Germans had it, the Russians had it, the Chinese have it. The the, the, the idea that Romans you can build it. the ancient Romans had we can build. They didn't put it in terms of a heaven on earth, but we can build a better world. Philosopher kings. I think Plato talks about it in mm-hmm. the Republic.
0: Yeah, uh, he thought
1: he could. Yeah, he thought he could. That if we just now in the, the movie Divergent, which I had forgotten that I'd watched, uh, has in it the you know the erudites who are going to be able to bring about. A, a wonderful world it always turns into a hell on earth
0: well I think it's really interesting if you look at popular culture that the dystopian film is very popular right now yes the notion that you know rather than creating some kind of a you know the the golden the golden age for the future the utopian for the Utopia for the future, we end up always creating the dystopia, right? Yeah. It becomes the animal farm, it becomes the divergent community, it becomes the giver, I guess, is another one of those books yeah. that this is true too. Because what happens always, and this is also true in Plato's Republic, that as you said, there there is usually some elitist group who feel like they know the best or and therefore it becomes a sort of control system so that you, you get order at the expense of freedom. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a real problem. How do you create an ordered, peaceful society without taking away people's freedom?
1: Well, I think it's a really important idea, and I think the reason for the dystopian films and books, of which there are many, yeah, is do. the collapse, the bankruptcy of science. <laughs> and, and science is bankrupt because it cannot answer the question why. And, and evolutionists who, which I believe in evolution. Uh, and believe el- in science. I believe in science. I believe in <laughs> evidence. But the fact of the matter is measuring things does not tell you what they mean.
0: Well, I think the it, it's more than just the idea that they don't create meaning or they don't tell you the why. I think that for many people, one of the reasons that people have faith in science is because of all of the great things that have been produced through scientific uh, through the knowledge, scientific knowledge has then transferred over to technology, and the technology promises a better world. So, if you look at a lot of the science fiction of the 20th century, the idea was that science was going to be the thing. That created this this perfect world, right? Like, like public education. Really, <laughs> like public education. So we're going to have, you know, so science. We're going to find we're gonna have the elimination of disease. Yeah. We're going to have the elimination of all human problems. Yeah. Through technology. And it, and and, certainly and of course, technology it, has helped. I mean. I'm grateful for antibiotics and yet it. there's a limit to antibiotics I mean we're seeing this now if you overuse them then they become ineffective that right. the viruses are very clever right and they they work somehow toward you know finding a way to defeat all the antibiotics life that we have. Life will
1: find a way but Life of, <laughs> said <laughs> Malcolm Hyman or whatever his name is. Uh, anyway, in, in Jurassic Park. And, and the reality is that... films. Yeah, we, badly. Probably the wrong film. And, indeed, yes. But the point is that science has made huge progress, but it has not outstripped the expectations of the population. We have Ebola in West Africa. We now probably have 2 or 3,000 um, uh, cases of it. Many people have died. There's no
0: but maybe we'll find a cure. They're, they think they might have had, yeah. they or the, they're on the, tr- the track of finding yeah, one.
1: That isn't true. It's raging without a cure right now. And yeah. the fact of the matter is that uh, there's the, the age uh, epidemic still goes on. Uh, they managed to contain it somewhat, but it's still a very great reality. In, in, in the North Pacific, the Fukushima reactor is spilling out. It continues to spill out high levels of radiation into the North Pacific which are doing horrendous damage. There is an island of plastic in the Pacific or Atlantic, one of the oceans that the size of Rhode Island where where it gets trapped. We have a lot of... Science has created many problems. It has solved many problems. To have a utopian view of science and and the rational it's like having a very dystopian view of religion. It's to blame everything on religion and put all your hopes on science. It, I think they're, that well, these are just, heretical, it's poor critical thinking. I mean, it's true, religion, the Crusades, you You,
0: you can think of plenty of bad examples of right, religion gone bad.
1: But you also have the critique of the Crusades comes from religion. You've got St. Francis coming from religion. You've got abolition coming out of religious Martin Luther King came from a religious tradition. So
0: let's talk, though, about with science. I mean, to me, if you go back and you said that you think the problem is that, of course, science can't deal with the question of why or meaning. But I really think that if you look at the misuse of science, in other words, that where science goes wrong is because we don't have a critique going simultaneously of our own ethics and especially our greed Mm -hmm. and our... uh, our self-centeredness, the sort of, the self-centeredness of any culture or any person where, you know, we hooray for technology as long as I am able to be in control and I can have a nice life, but the notion that we're going to think about the whole planet, I mean obviously there's a movement toward this kind of thinking with the ecology movement, which is in a way is a critique of the misuse of science, that well, we have used our technology really to conquer the earth and to use the earth for our greedy ends without thinking, you know, a hundred years in advance. Well, fracking the ground. Right. You know,
1: I mean, I don't know whether that's, uh, to me, it seems like a pretty irresponsible uh, thing to do when it could create, it could contaminate the aquifers and, and make it so that it, it ruining the environment. On the other hand, I understand That we need oil, but I also understand that the people who are invested in oil will stay invested in oil until the last drop before they move to some other form of energy that might be more expensive. I understand how, see, when we picture scientists, we picture the young woman or the young man, you know, fresh from college in a white uh, Lab lab coat you know, with Searching tubes. for the truth. But the reality is science is a corporate enterprise. It's backed by people like Pfizer and who else, Halliburton maybe, and I don't know, these big corporations, right. mobile. And they go, they go out there and it's a corporate endeavor that requires returns to shareholders. Well
0: medicine is the same yeah. way. The, right. The I mean and again, I mean there are enormous things that I'm grateful for. I'm gonna have a knee replacement. Yeah. And I'm very grateful that I'm gonna be able to have my knee replaced. And you
1: couldn't do it without this
0: corporate effort probably. No, I probably couldn't. On the other hand, you know what what are we losing? So this is as someone who studies the ancient world, one of the things I always worry about is that if you have this view of progress like we're always kind of moving upward and onward we never ask the question what are we losing what are the what are the negative things that we're introducing um, at the same time that we have these new you know technologies Mm -hmm. i mean even in terms of of knowledge you know i mean obviously the internet has done enormously wonderful things but we don't ask the question Are we also losing things? Have we lost knowledge that somehow has been left behind? We don't ask enough about the negative effects of what seem to be advantages. Right, so
1: I think that the the utopian dream is the most, to quote Malcolm Muggeridge years ago, who said, is the most absurd of all dreams. Because the idea that you can you can create nuclear power, and then the nuclear power has, you know, what happens at the Fukushima reactor, Nagasaki, Hiroshima, you have the negative side. You you have the dream of wealth, mm-hmm. so we print more money, and we have more quant- quantitative easements that the Federal Reserve do- does, and then all of a sudden, you print more money, and the money becomes worth less and less, and then you create disaster in the third world by some of the economic repercussions that happen there. You 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 create uh, a, a democratic republic like the United States, but for, in order for its people to live at a certain level of the economy, it we have to exploit exploit others. the labor of other right. countries. It it it's not. We have to be realistic, and utopianism is is a denial that everything has its shadow, as you said about Carl Jung saying you know, God has a shadow, everything has a shadow, and we have to take cognizance of the negative side of things, it's part of it. And I think utopianism is a, is a kind of an exercise in the denial of those things. So, I, And
0: I think that, that even progression, the belief in that we're progressing can uh, be a denial sometimes of the shadow, right. of any kind of action, or that we're not willing to look at, at what price are we getting this new technology, this new idea, this new way that we're doing things. What have we lost? And a lot of times and we don't know. Because no, we don't until we actually go through it. Mm, we don't know.
1: And we're not the experts who put it together. We don't know what's going into the cell phones. What strange metals or chemicals might be produced in the process of creating these electronic devices. I'm not knowledgeable about it, so I have to leave it to people to regulate these things, but you know, there's and then you have all these conspiracy theories that arise
0: upon the ignorance. What do you believe again? Right? Yeah. What do you believe? What do you believe? Well, how do you sort through all of the evidence? Which is a difficult thing in our in our contemporary world. Well, let's get to our last one. No, which it's, it's not, to, the, oh, last not the last one. Oh, not the last one. The second to the last. One. Oh no! I thought we were also we did naturalistic objectivism. We were talking about science well, and connecting directly. it to. So, what else do you have to say about uh, that? Actu- well, Beyond well, utopian views that are created by science.
1: The naturalistic objectivism, just to to make a clear statement about it, in my mind, is the idea that we can solve all of our problems through reason and through science. And I don't think that we can think that way. I mean, a lot of solutions arise out of uh, the imagination, out of literature, out of poetry, out of music things that come, you know, a lot of people work really hard in in the sciences and technologies and in industry, and then when they finally get their money, you know, after they buy their Porsche and their seven houses, what do they want to do? They want to go visit Europe or China or South America and see the cultures of the past, learn different languages, collect art, right? So it's... good, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's really good. but. Sometimes in building up the money to be able to do that, they destroy a lot of culture. They destroy a lot of art, and they 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 make a wreckage of the. The universities today are in a terrible state because most of them are corporatized. They're they're all most of them are about money. Most of them are not delivering to students the value that those students are paying for an education. And and I could say the same thing about the justice system that I'm involved in. I mean, if you peel it back. It it is, uh, it it has a very hard time dealing with the, the huge problem of the drug war and trying to deal with, you know, in bankruptcy we try to solve problems and discharge debt and it's very hard to, it becomes more and more complicated, more and more difficult to manage as time goes on and we, so the idea that we're going to solve our problems solely through a rational approach.
0: Do you really think that we live in an age that, I mean, obviously we live in an age where people value science and again, I do too. I mean, I do believe in different kinds of progress, right? But this is my question. I don't really think that we live in an age where reason is dominant, that that's what people value most. You know, they value the pragmatic part of science but I think that we live in an age of emotions where, Uh you know, people, they think that they're giving, um, they're analyzing something, when really they're just giving their emotional response to it. If you look at what most people do on the internet, I really think it's about emotions, telling about your feelings, telling about your story, which again, I'm, I'm glad that people are talking about their experiences, but, I don't think we value reason that much. I think I, we value I, I emotions I agree with you. I, I,
1: I will amend my <laughs> my heresy there uh, because it isn't just this trying to retreat into reason. But no. I agree with you that there's also an equal retreat into um,
0: emotion. Emotion. Well, and as I said, I think it's only the. We only value reason in so far as there's a pragmatic result of it. Yeah, maybe that's I think in the in minority. Term, yeah, I, because I, I think that that's really the minority. People don't even know what a rational argument is. Yeah. They think they're giving an argument when really they're giving their feelings about something. Right. We live very much in that kind of a world. And maybe
1: that goes back to the first point about my opinion, meaning my emotional Response. Response right? is just as good as anyone else's, and that probably is true.
0: Yeah, I think what we lack in the world today is uh, a valuing a uh, valuing of rational argument. We we don't yeah. really. Critical uh, thinking uh, critical is. thinking is not valued. And and I agree, I mean there's there's such a great problem with all of our institutions that they are run by it's all about power and money. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure how we get away from that. I have no Solution to that problem.
1: Well, I'm not suggesting there are solutions. To You're me. just saying these are
0: again your list of things that annoy you. Yeah. I, so are we down to the narcissistic? Well, elitism? I'm terribly
1: annoyed by this last one. Well, elitism. <laughs> elitism. Yeah. That is the belief that some people have. Often, you know, it could be the it could be a mo- the monarch of some country. It could be the upper class, the one percent in America. Mm. It could be the leadership of a corporation. It could be the leadership of a church. It could be the you know the people who have performed some kind of ritual, Uh, it doesn't matter. A self-defined elite who have the idea that they have a natural or even legal or institutional right to exploit their inferiors, what they believe to be their inferiors. This is at the root of homophobia, misogyny, racism, the class system, uh, you know, the way the Native Americans have been treated since the days of John Marshall, the first Chief Justice of the United States. I mean, it has to do with what happened to the buffalo it has, uh, and the American... Planet. You're
0: going to blame every, every problem in the world on yeah. elitism.
1: Right, because the government encouraged the killing of the buffalo in order to contain Native Americans. I mean, that was a policy. And, you know, how he treated the Japanese in, in internment camps in World War II. The idea that somehow an elite and more powerful group has a right to protect itself by an unequal treatment, something they would not tolerate on on an inferior, or what they believe to be an inferior class, is... uh,
0: Well, I mean, I agree with you that you find this problem in every single institution, but it seems like it really is just going back to the notion of greed and power. And fear. That, but but what greed and power well, fear is a good, fear is a, a good thing to add to that. Yeah. But I suppose that when it becomes elitism, is that people justify it in some way? And whatever system you're looking at, you have this problem. I mean, even if we go back to the notion of utopianism and Plato's ideas of the perfect republic, the question is, you know, should there be some group that has the right? to make the decisions. So whether you're talking about a government or a religious group or a scientific community or an intellectual community or a fashion industry, right? I mean, should the elite, do do they have a right? And it seems like they always try to justify it in terms of why they are the ones that should have the say, but really it gets down to these basic human problems of greed and fear. And well, I'm not assault. talking
1: about the right to govern. For example, you know, we elect people to Congress, and uh, they have the right to make the laws, the federal laws. And in, in Utah, the legislature, um, I don't have a main. I don't have a problem with that because we have to have a system. Okay. But it has to do with exploiting the exploitation. That is treating your inferiors in a way that you would not for one second tolerate being treated. So the question is, should the Congress of the United States be able to pass OSHA laws, you know, safety and health rules that govern industries and yet exempt itself from those laws? Should they have a health care system that protects congressmen and senators and their families and ensures them but deny a healthcare system to the citizens of the country. Well, I mean, Should they be able to uh, s- let the president of the United States, without criticism, send drones into Yemen and destroy God only knows what they're destroying, without us knowing it? I mean, where, when does the governed when does government cease to be by the consent of the governed? in even in a democratic republic. These are very difficult questions. I'm not suggesting that it's easy. I am saying however that there is a sense that it's, I feel is growing that if you have power then you it might right. make I,
0: I It's true. I mean you look at the world that we're in and it seems like that that's what's governing everything right now. So it seems to me like that even in the United States where we have the rule of law and we have you know, a long tradition that should ensure against these kinds of things happening, that this is exactly where we're headed. It doesn't matter what kind of institution you're looking at, you have people with power and money who are trying to control everything in society and those of us who are kind of more in the middle or bottom or wherever we're at, where we're not in power, we seem to have first of all very little we can do if we see the problem and maybe even there are a lot of people who don't even acknowledge the problem um, I can't believe how many people well they don't see it as a problem are willing to vote for you know ongoing systems of power that are really not benefiting them at all yeah they vote against
1: their own interest they because they, they because they it's hard to see through all of this stuff I have a difficult time I'm a fairly educated person and a lawyer you think I'd I'd know but I don't always feel like I do and and I can understand why people come up with conspiracy theories to try to explain what's going on. They feel like there's somebody behind some curtain moving. I find it difficult. I believe in little conspiracies, but global conspiracies, I have a difficult time because people don't cooperate. No, it's hard hard to get people to really cooperate. Cooperate. You know, even show up for the meeting, you know, the Bilderberger group or whatever, showing up for its meeting, it's hard to believe. And yet, there does seem to, the rich do and the powerful in the world do seem to act in concert, but maybe it's only because self-interest works that way. And, you know, we have 1%, you know, 1% have, you know, most of the wealth, or 4% of the United States owns 96% of the wealth. It seems wrong on some level, and Congress is in the pockets of these people. So it's very hard, with our way of funding campaigns and the fact that incumbents always win, it's very difficult
0: to change the system. So there it is. So, I mean, are we kind of end this session with sort of a feeling of gloom and hopelessness? Because yeah, I think yeah, that that's, that's what sound. I
1: think we have to do. Because <laughs> I do not think that it is possible to fix a lot of this. I think these the adversity that we're involved in is it, it, the challenge is. It, is we, I don't think we should stop trying to fix it, but I think here, as I come to the end of my life, it is going to happen tomorrow, probably. But at, I'm at the last part of my life. I've spent a lot of my life thinking that maybe we could make a difference. Make a difference. And I realized that I, I came in medias race. I'm going to leave in medias Race And that uh, it's, uh, it's a very, it's, uh, the, the situation is maybe worse now maybe not so bad as it was in 1945 when I was born. And so it's it's discouraging to me on one level. Uh, some progress has been made, but we have lost, we've gone backwards in some other areas, it seems to me. And uh, it's a little bit discouraging, but that doesn't mean I don't think we, that we should stop trying. I think, though, that we have to be more realistic about the situation and 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 not lapse into either the denial of our emotions, or the denial of our rationality, or the denial of what's good in religion, or what's good in science, and try to be a little bit more balanced about all of those things, and to train the critical eye of our thinking, uh, which I think these heresies, as I call them or the uh, in this list, that they create problems for us, and we need to address them in a more intelligent way and, and uh, that that's kind of where I am right now but...
0: I mean it seems to me like that for most people in our world today that there's a real sense of alienation in spite of the fact that we connect with each other maybe more than we ever have with all of our modern technology that people feel alienated and they don't feel like they can make a difference and that in fact there's more of a feeling of the most you can have is trying to find some kind of personal space of um, peace, maybe a personal space where you're trying to eliminate, you know, the, at least not doing anything really bad to the world, that you're kind of trying to eliminate your, you know, your ecological footstep or whatever they call it, footprint. Mm-hmm. And so people are trying to you know, not perpetuate evil
1: not but do harm.
0: Not do harm, I think that that's a common feeling. I mean, not for everybody, obviously, right? But I think for a lot of people who care about issues, they'll say, well, I've got to find personal peace because I have to live with myself from day to day. I'm not optimistic that I can solve these huge problems. We feel helpless, but at least I can try not to do harm, which doesn't seem to me to be a bad response. I mean, maybe. That is the best we can do. Um, I mean, well, I still try. I mean, here we are making these videos. I, you know, I'm not thinking that I'm going to bring about a lot of, you know, big changes. But, you know, I don't want to give up either. Well, how why do we balance this? I well, guess. I think is what it, I'm my
1: final kind of salvo on this is, if I went down that list of my annoyances, as you call it. <laughs> yeah, more I, annoyances
0: than heresies.
1: Uh, if you find a common thread, it is. Certainty, the that that what ties these together, whether you believe in a golden age or you know you think you should be able to exploit somebody else or you're narcissistic or believe only in science or whatever it is you believe only in, you know your view of Jesus, whatever is your certainty, it it's the certainty that allows you to feel justified in diminishing someone else. Right. And that you don't realize that your opposition may hold in trust for you something that you that is valuable that you need to which you are blind. And vice versa. They don't have that view. I think the polarization that's gone on between the Democratic Party and the Republican Party in the United States and in other places, this polarization between, you know, the extreme religious evangelicals mm-hmm. and the mainstream Protestants or certain elements of the Catholic Church Uh, and and in Judaism and Islam as well, there are these polarizing extremes. And it has to do with with the fact that one can feel so certain that they are willing to completely disparage the opposition and impose their view. This, I think, is what ties together that list of annoyances, as you call them, that I have.
0: And actually, I, I like that conclusion because for me, that creates an ethics that goes beyond just simply withdrawing, finding my peace, and trying not to do harm. It's still, if you say that you know having this certainty is a problem, then the response is not simply withdrawing, but it's an opening up. Right. That I have to be open toward the other. You know, the other in every sense of that word, that I have to view the other as equally valuable as myself, whether we're talking about the other of nature or the other of, you know, another nation, another people, another time, you know, that we're not closing ourselves off, but in spite of all the pain of the world that we live in, we're willing to still be vulnerable vulnerable toward um, possibility, and it's not dogmatic, it's not elitist or certain, but it's sort of a vulnerable open position toward new experiences, new people, even vulnerable toward hope, which it's easy to be cynical, I think, in the world that we live in, but I like this idea of that really, the critique that you're making is about opening up to other possibilities. Yeah, and
1: to, and to kind of bring it back to Mormonism for Margaret and I, you know, Margaret was excommunicated in the year 2000. I was one of the September six excommunicated in 1993 in September, which is, this is September, do Yeah, September. So it's what, 21 years this month. Um, I would I would not have excluded those who excluded me. You would not have excommunicated those who excommunicated you, and 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 I feel that that idea comes from the, you know, they didn't want to be contaminated. They want the doctrine to be pure, the church to be pure. But this is a nonsensical idea. I mean, the idea of purity by exclusion is directly contrary to what you've been saying about being right. open and and you know it, embracing embracing. It's embracing
0: rather it's than, inclusion. Right. That
1: is the, the love of God is inclusive it's not exclusive. And this is one of the principal differences between the religion that Jesus found himself born into and the religion to which he sought to transform. it. From a religion that essentially was tribal and exclusive in order to survive, I'm not saying there weren't reasons for that, had to be changed into a religion that was inclusive and was based not on war but on love, not on power but on unconditional love. This is the change that I think has to happen in Mormonism if it's going to survive. And if I believe that if it doesn't make this change, it will it will be diminished in its in its influence in the world.
0: Well, and if I can have the last word and I will let you have it. The the tendency of every organization is to move away from that. So you may see Jesus as that kind of figure, but it didn't take long for Christianity to become exclusive. Right. And the same thing with Mormonism, and I agree, if Mormonism wants to have an ongoing positive influence, it has to change its mind about its own elitist claims to truth and authority. It's got to have a more open view of um, extending love toward all people and it's a hard thing to do it's not easy but that has got to be the ideal that we that we look forward to in a healthy religious community